Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. On today's show, we're talking playoff scenarios and tiebreakers. The Hornets are still in this thing, plus a wild weekend of Hornets action. The bench swarmers were in full flight, and Cliff, very upset. We'll tell you why. We talk more Hornets before 9 a.m. than most people do all day. You are Locked On Hornets. You are Locked On Locked On, locked on Hornets, your daily Charlotte Hornets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team Every day. Welcome into Locked On Hornets, Charlotte Hornets news and analysis in your podcast feed every day, whenever you need it, and you know you need it, you still need it this late into the season because it ain't over. I'm Doug Branson, joined by someone who, just when he thinks he's out, the Hornets pull him right back in. My good friend, Nada Edwards. You know, I never thought I would be Al Pacino <laughs> in the Godfather 3 of this kind of season. But yes, that is me. I Just when I think I'm out, just when I think, you know what, it's over. I can start draft. I can start looking at the draft, start scouting the draft, and start getting ready for that. No, they decide, you know what, we're just going to go within a game, within, with five games left in the season. To just, they, they decided to go that that route. I wasn't expecting that. I don't, I'm not sure I like that, Doug. And now it's the nice. and now the question is not a, will the Hornets end this trilogy? Uh, will they end it like Michael alive, or are they going to end like Sonny <laughs> with, uh, with uh, full of machine gun holes? That's the question uh, at hoping, this point. Look, at this point, you, you're kind of right. I'm hoping. I'm hoping, I'm telling you, that I'm just hoping that this doesn't end like The Godfather 3, where Michael's bleeding out at the end, like the Hornets are not bleeding out. Well, his daughter, at yeah. The, listen, yeah don't, exactly. listen, don't test me on my Godfather knowledge. I know right. many people I, 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 didn't I, I, see 3, so they have no, they're like, oh, did, you well, know, well, three's terrible. Most of them were smart. Most of them <laughs> were smart. Again, at the end of the day, they, they decided, you know what, we're not going to watch it, we're just, two is enough. And they should have lit, and they were the smart ones. We were the gluttons for punishment. We are, we are also part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Head over to iTunes, search Locked On, and find podcasts on the NFL, golf, NBA, fantasy sports. It's the fastest growing podcast network in the world. Okay, uh, Nada, we are, we are going to recap this weekend of action for the Hornets. But first, let's tell everyone where the Hornets are and where they could be. After two weekend wins, the Hornets sit at 36 and 41. They finally get out of 11th place in the Eastern Conference. They vault over the Detroit Pistons. The Heat and Pacers both lost last night, so that leaves the Hornets just one game out of the eighth and final playoff spot. At this moment in time, the Hornets do own tiebreakers over both the Pacers and the Heat. The Pacers, by virtue of a one-game lead in Eastern Conference play, 
the Heat by virtue of both head-to-head and a lead in uh, that division record, that all-important division record. Uh, So let's take a look at the schedules for the Pacers and the Heat. The Pacers uh, play at home against Toronto and Milwaukee, then travel to Orlando and Philadelphia, and then end their season at home against the Atlanta Hawks. The Miami Heat at uh, Charlotte, their next game. They get two days rest before traveling to Charlotte. Then at Toronto, at Washington, home against Cleveland, and then end the season home against the Washington Wizards. Uh, The Hornets will have to play as if they have to win out, Nada. But the way the Eastern Conference is acting right now, I'm not sure that 40 and 42 doesn't get you in. That would be one more loss for the Hornets. Again, I'm not sure if 39 can get you in. 39 might be 39. It seems like a, I don't know about that. 39, 40 can get you. Oh, 39 wins. I I got you. I got you. Yeah. 39, maybe 40 wins. Either way, there's still a really good shot. More importantly, and you didn't factor them in, but are we sure Atlanta isn't going to continue this this skid? I mean, they lost to the Nets. Lost to the Nets, Nets. and they they are, what, uh, nine out of their last 11. They only sit, they're sixth in the Eastern Conference, but they are only one game above 500, and they end the season, Nada, with a back-to-back against Boston and then at Cleveland, then another game against Cleveland. They play the Horn, and by the way, Cleveland fighting, not for their playoff lives, but maybe for their championship lives. Yeah, exactly. Um, so Cleveland's going to be playing at the end of this season. They play the Hornets on the 11th and then, uh, in Atlanta, then, was, oh, excuse me. They play, uh, they play, yeah, they play the Hornets on the 11th in Atlanta. Then they finish out on the road at Indiana. I got it right. There we go. Here's here. And remember big part Hornets went three and one. So they do have the tiebreaker over them. Got the tiebreaker over Atlanta, too. Huge. Yeah, that's huge. If they get the win. Yeah, if they get the win against. And then and then they should have it either way. Because if, uh, if they go two and two against Atlanta, they still have the division lead. The, not, I, thought, I thought the Hornets, that's the thing. I think Hornets went three and one against, well, against they still have, Atlanta. Well, they still have one game against Atlanta on the 11th. That'll be the, the fourth and final. Okay. be the fourth and final contest. Ah, okay. Just making sure, but that's uh, again. They have a lot of tiebreakers. Point is, we thought so. we thought that they would have to win out, but I'm just not sure. I, I think, I, and I said, uh, I didn't know that the Eastern Conference was going to play this this poorly, but I thought that 40 and 42 could get the Hornets in, and now I'm more confident in that estimation more than ever. But the Hornets can't play like that. I mean, they have got no. to have their because they've got tough games against Washington. They've got tough games against Atlanta. They've got a tough game against Boston. But that's, to me, the Boston game. That's what I'm targeting because they haven't beaten Boston at all this year. And it seems like forever since they've been able to beat Boston at all. Uh, And Boston, number one team in the Eastern Conference. So I'm just saying I think if they lose to Boston, it's not not over. I don't think – that's the thing. We we keep talking about 40 and 42. The way this team is playing – I mean the the game that bo- the game that worries me the most this week mm-hmm. is Wednesday against the is Heat. that Wednesday game because I think they'll show up against I think they'll show up against Washington in that turnaround though against the Heat in a game that both those teams need 
and one team has two days of rest. That's that's a huge difference, man. Well, it's impo- it, it is important to note. I mean, this this schedule continues to be difficult because they will have two more back to backs to deal with before the season is over. Tuesday and Wednesday, and then they end the season on a traveling back to back. Yeah. <laughs> so this thing is going. That's why maybe they can't afford to lose to Boston because yeah, that traveling back to back at the end of the season could decide a lot of things. But you know, you know that if the season is on the line, maybe back to back doesn't matter. Maybe they back to back doesn't matter. They, they just and they just discard the fatigue because look, you're playing for your absolute playoff lives at that point. And one more thing, we do need to factor in before we get any further into this into this discussion. Remember, Cleveland plays Boston this week, mm-hmm. so that may be that may determine whether Boston is resting guys at that point. Very or true. Cleveland is resting guys. Well, and Cleveland, so, Cleveland's absolutely. It, this is it's amazing to watch what's happening to Cleveland. Uh, but yeah. first of all, that I don't know if you caught that Cavs and Pacers game or caught some of the highlights, but that game was absolute bananas. And I was watching it closely because I know myself and and other Hornets fans cheering for a Cleveland win at that point to to drop the Pacers uh, another game. And the Pacers were giving the Cavs all they could handle. Paul George one-on-one with LeBron James going back and forth. And then you had LeBron James and Tristan Thompson, double T, going at that each was... other on the bench with Tyron Lue just sort of hanging on. Hey, guys, 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 it's okay, guys. <laughs> it's like... Oh, so, so basically what you're telling me is you're calling Tyron Lue, Jeff Van Gundy, in that big melee. Wow, it, it, that, that's what you're calling him. That's essentially what you're calling him. I just I, you know I don't that, right? know I don't I don't know who the general manager of that team is and I don't know who the coach of that team is. I know they keep telling me names like David Griffin and 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 Teron Liu, but I don't I don't know because in that moment in that crucial moment in that game you have LeBron James telling Tristan Thompson essentially he was upset with Thompson because Thompson was sinking down on those pick and rolls with Paul George, leaving Paul George open for three. And LeBron James was fatigued and getting screened out of plays that normally he would not get screened out of. And Tristan was sinking down, presumably because that's, you know, listen, Tristan Thompson's a good defensive player, a great defensive player. So if he's doing something, he's not doing it out of laziness. He's doing it because he was told to do that. So one would presume that he was told to do that by his coach, Teron Luke. Well, 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 and 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 well. then uh, look, LeBron James was upset because he was not, you know, helping out on those pick and rolls and and jumping up and guarding Paul George, and Paul George was just draining three after three in those two overtime periods, and and then uh, uh, Thompson was clapping back, and again, yeah. I'm no lip reader, but I have to assume that he was saying, "Look, I'm I'm doing what I." Again, Thompson is a good defensive player, and, and Thompson was giving as good as he got. And that was the thing that surprised locker room me about is, that. Locker room is weird right now. Although we've seen this out of LeBron-led teams before. We've, we've seen, seen him all, physically yeah, go after Mario Chalmers. Yeah, yeah. That was the one thing that, that struck me as kind of funny. Basically, Tristan Thompson saying, you know what? You got me paid, but I'm not Mario Chalmers. You are not going to talk to me while I'm on. Again, while these cameras are around, you are not going to embarrass me. And that, no, 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 no. Yeah, That's, and LeBron said after the game against the Pacers that he has to do a better. It's been one of the things in his career 
that has been very interesting to watch is that he is not afraid in front of cameras on the court to show up other players on his team. And he said after that game that he has to be better about that, that you got to take it to the film room uh, and not do it out on the court, not show people. I mean, Kobe used to show up players in practice. I don't know how much he did it during the game. I'm not sure how much Michael Jordan did it during the game. I mean, you, you these play, these players cared. were famous for harassing players in practice and almost making players cry. You know, during oh, practice. Oh, you mean you mean again? Because there's a ton. Remember, there's a ton of stories about Michael Jordan breaking Kwame Brown right. during practice and <laughs> ruining that kid. He wasn't even well. He was. He did eventually play, but um, yeah, exactly. But he ruined that kid. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, but Oh yeah, I was I mean, just going to say, crazy. but LeBron's doing it during a game, which is di- which is different, and it causes these kind of. We've seen these issues before in Miami and now in Cleveland. It's just interesting. Exactly. It's the thing is, one day, Nada, I predict one day the Charlotte Hornets will have a superstar. Maybe not on Le- a LeBron James once in a lifetime caliber, but but yes. they will have a superstar, and the dynamics of the team will be different than they are now because now they have built a team of relatively low key. Uh, really, really good players, but low key players. Yes. No, and, no, and not, no, one star like Kimball Walker, one star, but yeah. no superstars, no, no, no alpha dogs, no give me the ball, I'm going to go score kind of guys. Yeah, even though Kimball Walker would probably slap us both for saying this about him right now. Like he, th- he's that guy. Like, give me the ball. I'm gonna put in my thirty and forty. And but this season, this season, he has not been. A, he is not. You know, I, th- I would agree with you. Maybe in seasons past, where it seemed like every clutch possession went to Kimball Walker. But I think this. this season, it's felt like it's been more distributed. And Kimball Walker is the unquestioned, you know, number one. Uh, you know, most touches, uh, scoring. I mean, he's had he's one. He's one A and one B when we talk about that, but. right? But Marco, not in the same way that a LeBron last, James a bit, yeah. or a Paul Jordan. No, just not in the same way. Anyway, no. one day it's going to be different, and you're going to have to deal with these kind of issues. It doesn't. It doesn't magically come together, is what I'm saying. Just look at this Cleveland. is also very true. Right. This is yeah, yeah. Okay, let's talk about this weekend because there there was a lot to like about what happened uh, this. Although it almost all fell apart after three quarters in Denver. It yeah. looked like maybe, well, time to pack it in, folks. Looked like That's the, the playoff dream my, was I, dead. I mean, I, I had a whole draft profile on Terrence Ferguson, who's going to be there at <laughs> 14 or ready. 15. I had it all ready to go. Like, I'm sitting there, and I'm watching this, and I'm just like, these guys were lethargic. Yeah. And the bench kept them in it. And when you get 50-plus points out of your bench – when there were weeks where we wouldn't get mm-hmm. 50 points out of the bench combined, like over four games, you'd be like bench scored 12 here again, 10 here again, 12 here. And it wouldn't equal 50, but 50 points in one game. Bench play was spectacular this weekend. 22 points from Frank Kaminsky, seven of 13 shooting Marco Bellinelli, 11 points, some clutch fourth quarter shooting from Bellinelli, and then Lamb Adam adding 13 off the bench in Denver. But I thought the big turnaround in Denver was that the the starters decided to stop letting Denver score in transition. I mean, Kenneth Fareed 
Jokic. They were getting easy buckets in transition uh, and, and off cuts, and, and they finally stopped that early in the fourth quarter, and it allowed Kemba Walker, who finished the game with 31 points, uh, to, to finally get something going. Tough shooting night for Kemba, but 9 of 11 from the line. They did what they had to do, and it was impressive. It was impressive. The other thing that I really found, like I was glad that Kemba Walker finally decided to outplay Jameer Nelson, who seems to be old as dirt right now. Like at some point, you can't expect to win a game when Jameer out uh, Jameer Nelson is outplaying you. I like the fact that Cody stepped up. He stopped. He stopped playing almost little brother to Jokic. I understand Jokic is again one of the one of the rising stars of the league. Let's not get the not get that like twisted. At the same time, the fact that Cody stepped up, he had one of the probably the signature dunk of the year at this point. And I'm sorry, Marvin, he has replaced the you the one poster that Marvin will give you every year. But Cody Cody stepping up in the second half was huge. And I mean, Frank, we're going to have to talk about this more often, but I, I mean, when we look back on this season, Cody getting hurt for a month might have been the turning point because without that, I'm not sure we're getting the contribution that we're getting from Frank Kaminsky right now. Playing confident, shooting the ball well, but more importantly, I think Frank Kaminsky is starting to put it on the floor and consistently convert or get fouled. Uh, yeah. He was uh, what he had three, uh, three of three from the line against Denver, and then against Oklahoma City, five of six from the line. Those are important points uh, because what you don't want Frank Kaminsky to turn into is just a jump shooter. Um, because you know, it, well, the other thing though is that Frank Kaminsky's offense has outweighed his defense, and that's what we always said. It's like, look, Frank Kaminsky is not going to become a great defender overnight. And even in these past two games, he has made defensive mistakes, coverage mistakes, but his offense is out, his offensive contributions are outweighing that. And he has become uh, the de facto Hornets sixth man, 27 minutes against Denver, 25 minutes against Oklahoma city. He is becoming playable for uh, extended minutes. Part of that is that they can pair him with Marvin Williams, who had absolutely spectacular defense this weekend, three blocks yeah. in each game. And those were just the registered blocks. I really feel like he had a couple of sneak blocks in there that, that the scorekeepers uh, uh, missed. Because, a lot and, of chain shots, yeah. Yeah, and, he, uh, well, and the biggest chain shot of all, uh, Oklahoma City trying to make a comeback late in that game, Russell Westbrook getting out into transition in that third quarter, and Marvin Williams dealing – with Russell Westbrook in transition, not fouling, making him miss a shot one-on-one. I mean, those are that's a play that Russell Westbrook wins 9.7 out of 10 times. 9.9. <laughs> Too low. Too low. All right. 9. All right. 9.9. And the other thing, one, one more guy we do have to highlight who's gotten immensely better, and we don't talk about it enough, is Jeremy Lamb. Yeah, because with Jeremy Lamb and him being the de facto point guard in that second unit and being able to initiate the offense and allowing yeah. Brian Roberts to be less of a liability per se, he's played so well. How dare you? No, seriously, like Roberts has played so well over these past. He's two played games. so well, but at the same time, he's not initiating the offense. At this point, he's become the de facto two guard per se. Yeah, 
mm-hmm. where you're having where he's off the ball, all you're asking Brian Roberts to do is sh- shoot jumpers yeah. and extend the paint and extend that paint for other guys like Lamb who have taken it to the basket and converted a whole lot more. I mean, yeah. Lamb's Lamb's emergence in the last I would say 15 games is is a big piece to this. What's well, true it that allows he's... Marco to do what he does and it allows everybody else including Frank. Yeah, and the key the key later. is he's doing it in limited minutes. He only got 14 a little under 15 minutes against Denver. He was 6 of 8 for 13 points and um under 12 minutes in uh Oklahoma City, 5 of 7 from the field for 13 points. So when he's in the game, he is what what you're saying, he's initiating the offense, but honestly, I mean, he's initiating a lot of the offense for himself. And importantly, mm-hmm. he's converting. Exactly. He's being aggressive and he's converting, doing the most with the minutes. And, and, and that offense or that second unit needs that offense. They need they that do. offense. And he's been doing very well. And then Miles, we have to mention Miles Plumley, too. This has been a, a complete team effort. Uh, Brian Roberts uh, did not play in Denver, had a personal issue, but against Oklahoma City played well. Miles Plumley in limited minutes, not doing much offensively, but defensively, he's added that this is what they wanted from him that level Except of physicality. For that well, except, except for, for the goaltend, goal right? Where he got yanked. I've never seen Cliff yank a guy so fast. <laughs> well, let's talk, let's talk about another moment where Cliff got angry, and we got an email about this. And uh, David uh, David Walker was confused about this as well. Got an email from Ed asking mm-hmm. why was Cliff so irate at Marco Bellinelli as shown on live TV during the break in uh, Denver against the uh, Denver Nuggets. He tore poor Marco a new one. Never seen the coach like that. So, yeah, if you missed this, it was about four minutes to go, uh, timeout on the floor, and Marco had been – it was confusing for a couple of reasons because Marco had been on the bench for a few minutes and, mm-hmm. two, because Marco's three-point shooting in that fourth quarter helped them extend and hold on to their fourth-quarter comeback. Uh, I have some theories on this. It's, it's a little speculative, defensive. but I've it's got most likely defensive. Yeah. I can tell you now. Yeah, especially went, in that Denver yeah. game. Yeah, I went back and watched it. So the three, the reason it it happened while while Marco was on the bench or after Marco had been on the bench is because he got pulled uh, because there were three defensive breakdowns that he had right in a row. Uh, Clifford was asking him play up, play up on Danilo Gallinari, and he stayed back, and Gallinari splashed one right in his face for three. Yeah, And that that required Marco to go hit a tough shot for three because uh, Denver was suddenly back in it. And uh, then he uh, miss, he overpursued on Gary Harris, and Harris drove through the lane and got two, and then he fouled Jokic on a pick and roll, uh, trying to go over Jokic. He fouled yeah, exactly. him. So when three bad plays – and and but then so he pulls Marco, but um, didn't I guess Goes didn't have to time to didn't have time to say anything to him at the time. So then and the next stoppage of play, he made sure, yeah, to let him know. Yeah, it was intense. Like, but I've seen Clifford like that before. It, it's just not often that the cameras catch him like that. But just being exactly. at the game live, I've seen him rip into. I saw him rip rip into Lynn so many times last season. Yeah, and it's all defense. It's all yeah. defense, and that's the thing that that's the thing that I think gets lost sometimes. If he's mad at you, ninety nine point nine nine percent of the time, mm-hmm. it's probably mm-hmm. defense. It's probably defense, or it's a defensive effort thing, or it's something that he's gone over in practice multiple times. Because the one thing you keep hearing stories about Cliff before games 
trying to set up defenses and they don't even use a ball. They don't even yeah. use a ball. And he basically has it in his mind. He's an impresario of sorts where he can basically tell you if it, what you're going to do on defense is going to work or not without a ball or without any, any just working on rotations. And he can tell you if you're late, if you're early, and if you're not. <laughs> it's like whiplash. Like, literally. Was that after the beat or before the beat? <laughs> Probably before. Probably before. But I would, uh, but that's the thing with him. That's the thing with, with, with Cliff. Like, he knows what, again, what's going to work and what's not going to work. And that's why the, he emphasizes every press conference. We have to look at the video. That's when he talks about the practice time. That's mm-hmm. when he talks about the film study. When he talks about those things, they matter for a reason. And I think he gets even more upset when players are looking for their offense and energetic on offense, which Marco was. I mean, he was moving the ball expertly. He was moving off ball very well, and and he was rising up, looked very energetic on offense. And then if those players go back down on the other end of the floor and he's asking you to play up on Danilo, get up into his shirt – and not and make him put the ball on the floor because I've talked about it on this show. When Danilo has to put the ball on the floor, he's a he's a lot less of a threat. Yes. Um, but so when when they give the effort on the offensive end and then come back on the other end of the floor and don't give it, that seems to to rile him up in, in a special kind of way. And yeah. we saw it against Denver. So hopefully, again, a, a little bit of that is speculative because we were not on the floor near them. But I think it's a good enough. It's it's called an educated guess, a very very educated guess. More importantly, we again, if you've ever listened to a Steve Clifford press conference, it's the one thing he emphasizes more than anything: defense and effort on defense. Yeah, effort. Two things: organization, and and if he's sitting if he's sitting right in front of you, telling to play, telling you to play up, and you don't play yeah. up, feel like yeah. that's a bad move. Going to be a bad day. Uh, okay. I think the big takeaway, Nada, from this weekend is that the Hornets have finally found a playoff level of intensity and physicality and consistency. Consistency. On the bench. Yeah. yeah. Bench play. I mean, that's the thing. If this, if this bench had played this way uh, throughout most of the season, we're probably talking about a 48-49 win team. Similar yeah. to how they played last season, but Hell, the, forty-six, yeah, forty-six gets you much more, much, much more of comfort. Where you're, you're Washington Wizards. You're yeah. You're where the Wizards are right now. You're comfortable. You've clinched. You're comfortable. Top because, four again. Top four seed. Yeah. Period. Uh, and that's that's a shame because forty-eight forty-eight wins got the Hornets a six seed because everyone else was playing well this season. The the bottom half of the Eastern Conference is tripping over their own feet, and it just it just makes you wonder what would have happened if Cody Zeller doesn't get hurt for an entire month, basically an entire month. A lot of what ifs. It, a lot of what ifs. But ultimately, 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 yeah. this goes back to last off season when the Hornets decided to sign Nick Batum and sign Marvin Williams. That was going to be the focus to bring this starting unit that they loved back together to pair with MKG, a healthy MKG. And they got their wish. MKG stayed healthy all season. And and the starting unit played very well when Cody Zeller wasn't hurt. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it came at the expense of building a bench. A building a bench that they could count on. They made some bets. The bets didn't. They made some, you know, uh, buy low 
bets. So yeah, exactly. Which is what they did last didn't year. Didn't work with out. Jeremy Lin. Right. Didn't work out this year. Uh, so the question now is, can they sustain this bench play for five more games? Because we haven't seen the Hornets too often be able to win a game with only the starting unit playing well. The last time they did it was against Phoenix uh, back before that embarrassing loss to the Milwaukee Bucks when they won 120-106, and they only got 20 points out of their bench. Frank Kaminsky, 3 of 11 from the field. Um, Jeremy Lamb, 1 of 6. Marco Bellinelli, 3 of 7. So tough shooting nights for the entire bench. But you got 31 out of Kemba, 18 out of Nick, 21 out of Marvin. We've talked a lot about Marvin's defense. He's played that role expertly uh, in, in these two games, but not a lot of offense for Marvin Williams. Let me let me ask you this, Nada. But I've been thinking about this. So, I mean, can we say that the power forward position for the Charlotte Hornets is the most important posi- position in terms of whether they win or lose? How effectively Marvin and Frank are uh, playing in terms of how they play together? Like it seems like one's playing well offensively and one's playing well defensively. I would because yes, I mean yes, Kimba Walker one. is the most important player. But really, what's happening behind them doesn't matter. But how well the that Marvin and Frank complement one another seems to be the most seems important, to be important linchpin. I would say that. I normally, I normally, I would agree with you. I would actually say the small forwards. I would say MKG between Lamb. what MKG Batum, Marco, and to a lesser extent. Uh, Jeremy Lamb, what they give you might be more important. That so combination whether, of four guys, yeah, those four, between Nick's point, Nick's timely shooting and drawing fouls, you have MKG's defense on the best defensive player. You have like that two three spot. It's the, a day, those yeah. two three those between those four guys. That's the most important spot because if they give you, depending on what they give you, all collectively. If it's enough to mitigate a big wings scoring and defense, then you're okay. Are you getting you're you're saying are you getting bone in wings or are you getting yeah. boneless wings? Yes. That's the thing. That's where it is. If you're getting boneless wings, then hey, the sauce better be on point. <laughs> that's Kimba. Because, right. That's Kimba. If you're getting yeah, exactly. boneless wings, you better have your sauce on point. That's Kimba, that's Marvin. If Kimba exactly. and Marvin aren't shooting well, and you got boneless wings, then you get what happens in Milwaukee. Exactly. All right. For more of our for more of our chicken wing coverage, uh, subscribe to us on iTunes. Rate us there too. It's how hardcore Hornets fans find this podcast. That'll do it for us on this edition of Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening. Of course, thanks to my uh, wonderful co-host Nada Edwards. You can follow him on Twitter at. And I'll get this right. I got it wrong last week on the uh, on the Twitter post. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. Nada the scribe. Yes, it's very simple. I've had it for years now. It, it, it's like a cottage industry. I'm too lazy to change it at this point. <laughs> All right. Be like Ed. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz at LockedOnHornets.com or you can visit LockedOnHornets.com and hit us up on the contact page. For Nada and David Walker, I'm Doug. Go Hornets, go America. We're back tomorrow with a preview of tomorrow night's game against the Washington Wizards. Let's swarm Charlotte. Like what you hear? Consider sharing this podcast with other Charlotte Hornets fans. 
the easiest way? Our new website, LockedOnHornets.com. There you can download the podcast, listen to our latest episodes, and check out Locked On Hornets live on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best selling LED light bulbs. Our four pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long lasting 10 year LED bulbs now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.